right? Every plant that you eat, as soon as you pluck the corn off the, off the stalk, it's dead, right? I mean, every slice of bread you eat is dead. It comes from dead wheat, right? And I mean, but, but um, you know, it's, it's, hard to, to, um, it's hard to argue with stupidity sometimes because it's just, it just dumb. People just dumb, make up dumb things. It's just like of all the things to think about, you know, it's, I don't believe it, it's because it's death. Uh, and, um, uh, <laughs> you know, and I, I even read, it's, it's not, you know, we're getting a little off the field right here now, but uh, uh, someone was making a case against drinking alcohol, you know, and I believe the Bible makes a strong enough case that alcohol is not going to do any, anybody any good, no need for it, and um, people fight tooth and nail about it, you know, it's like, why don't you fight about faith? That's something we're fighting about. Fighting about alcohol, not worth fighting about, but... Um, uh, but the, the reason why this guy said, I mean, the entire book about it, he said, well, you know, uh, we, we, can't, uh, we can't drink uh, alcohol because it comes from fermented grapes, and, and fermentation is a basically a rotting process, and, you know, God would never have us eat something that's rotted. Uh, it, but, I mean, everything is dead, and as soon as it's dead, it starts to rot. I mean, the second you pluck it off the corn on the cob, I mean, it's, it's starting to rot, you know? I mean, the very second you take it off, it's starting to... To do, I mean, everything you eat is, is immediately decaying. As soon as it dies, it's immediately starting to decay. So, although I, I mean, I agree in general about the, the, the no need for drinking alcohol, but at least let's have an intelligent uh, conversation about it and not just make up stuff. Because, uh, you know, you're not going to win an argument if you make up an argument that's no, not valid and it's kind of dumb, you know. And uh, let's use the Word of God and find out what the Word of God says about it and, and follow that. It seems like that's a lot better. Uh, and, and they said, well, you know, well, wine back then, you know, you couldn't get drunk. Well, well why'd they say in Acts chapter 2 that they were not drunk with wine, right? And, and, and why does Ephesians 5.17 say, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, right? Uh, but, or it's, five, it's chapter 5, 17 or 18, somewhere in that, where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. I mean, uh, didn't Noah get drunk on wine? And didn't, didn't it cost him a lot of problems with his family? And I mean, it's just, People just say things and, and just um, because they, the, the problem many times with Bible interpretation is we start with a result and we try to find verses to match that result, to, to strengthen that result. We don't go to the scriptures and say, what do the scriptures say? And then come to the conclusion based on what they say. We start with the conclusion and then we, we back up to try to find the word. And it's really a poor way to study the word of God because you can't, you, you always have to go to the Word of God with an open heart and open mind. You can't go with preconceived ideas because then that's all you'll see. You won't see anything else other than your conclusion. Uh, and um, in fact, what did you, you had a word for that, a phrase for that, right? That, confirmation uh, bias. Confirmation bias, is that what it is? Yeah, that's a $64 word right there. <laughs> confirmation bias. Where, that's where you, yeah, you see, Chris learned it at work, you know, but that's basically where you have, if you think that something is one way, then that's all you'll see. Uh, and 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 people do that with the word of God every day, you know. Well, there's no such thing as healing in the Bible. Well, yeah, except for the 400 verses that are in there. Besides that, yeah, there's nothing in the Bible about healing, right? Uh, and and so, uh, but um, but we're going to stick with the word of God, amen. Uh, it's always safe to stick with the word of God. You'll always be safe uh, sticking with the word of God, even in a spirit-filled church. You know, uh, this church is a spirit-filled church. We believe in miracles and signs and wonders and tongues, interpretation of tongues, and all the above. Uh, but we will always stay with the word of God. And if a, if a strange sign occurs, we won't immediately discard it. We will see if it violates any principles of the word of God, right? And so uh, one of the first principles of the word of God in judging any sign or wonder is who's getting the glory. 
If you'll answer that question, you can usually find out whether that sign or wonder is of God or not. If the person is getting the glory, probably not of God. If the sign itself is getting the glory, it's not of God, you know. But if God is getting the glory, uh, then, uh, then it's probably of God, you know. I mean, that's, uh, uh, you can usually be safe in that direction, amen. Uh, and, um, uh, and so, uh, with, well, that was just our opening monologue, right? So, uh, <laughs> but uh, praise God. Why don't we pray and we'll get into the word tonight. So, Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for blessing us, Father, with your word. We thank you, Father, that your word is sure. It's accurate, Father. It's unchangeable. And so, Father, we depend upon your word and your spirit, Father, to grant unto us revelation, insight, wisdom into the word of God for our individual lives. We thank you for these things, Father. We give you the praise and the honor for them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Let's open up our Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read our scripture there uh, at the uh, uh, verse 18. That kind of got to where we're at, you know, in prayer. But in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says, Praying always with all prayer or all manner of prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Uh, and so one of the key phrases there is supplication in the Spirit. So when you're praying, you should always be praying with um, the acknowledgement of the Spirit of God in your life. Uh, and allowing the Spirit of God to assist you in your prayer is always helpful because, of course, we know we're actually speaking about the, the prayer of praying in other tongues. But, you know, the Spirit can still lead you and guide you even in your praying in English. Amen. Uh, and so you can pray. Uh, in the spirit, whether you're praying in English or praying in the spirit, whether you're praying in tongues, um, because the Lord is going to prompt you to pray for so-and-so sometimes. Now, sometimes you just have a burden to pray, and uh, if you don't know, then the best thing to do is to pray uh, in other tongues, right? And so that's what we're talking about here. So uh, we, we went through last week and we kind of went through the book of Acts and showed how tongues is always a sign that comes along with the initial filling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so there's two works of the Holy Spirit, right? The work of the Holy Spirit to get you born again, to get you, your spirit man recreated and sealed by the Holy Ghost and, and made in the image and likeness of God. Uh, and then the second work of the Holy Spirit in the Christian's life is to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus called it. He also called it being filled with the Spirit or having the Spirit come upon you. Uh, and, and in that case, in every example that we see in the book of Acts, Tongues was always a part of that filling. Uh, and so speaking in tongues should be a, a natural, active part of, of every Pentecostal's life. Is that right? Uh, it should be part of every Christian's life, right? Uh, was, did the Lord always intend to be a Pentecostal church and then everybody else? No, just like he didn't intend for some churches to be Christian churches and some churches to be, well, we're only, we're only Jewish churches. You know, we're still, you know, no, that was, that was never the intent. There was always... Every Christian church should all be Pentecostal churches, amen? Uh, and, and then, you know, and I don't really have a problem with individual churches because, you know, uh, God has called us to all to do different things, right? And so if your thing is, say, missions where, you, you know, you want to help either missionaries or you want to be a missionary, there may be churches that focus on that area, right? They, they receive offerings for missions and they support a bunch of missions and they, they're always going on missions and, uh, and nothing wrong with that. Of course, you know, you're supposed to go into all the world to preach the gospel, uh, some churches may be, you know, uh, on community development where they're doing, doing work and feeding the poor and ministering to the, to the needy and, you know, that sort of thing. And that may, be your, that may be where your heart's at, you know. And so, 
if that's where your heart's at, then, you know, you find a church that kind of uh, lines up with what God's called you to do. And then you go be a, a help to that particular church. So I don't have a problem with there being individual churches. You know, some people are like, you know, all these churches, they're out of, out of the will of God and they're wrong. And uh, I mean, are you the judge of the earth? Uh, I mean, it, it seems like we've, we've, we've come to a fairly stable set up in churches that, you know, if you want to start a church, you can start a church. If you don't want to start a church, you can go to a church. Um, nobody seems to really care either way. You know, it's not like it's against the law or not, you know, uh, there's no cults that show up, you know, every single time somebody starts a new church. And I mean, those things seem to be okay. Uh, and so I'm not anybody's judge, you know, should, should that church down the street be shut down? I don't have no idea. I don't know anything about the church or the pastor or the people. Um, and I think most Christians are just trying to get by and doing their best in, in this life. And, uh, and um, really, you know, they should, uh, the churches should be um, uh, set up in such a way or people should be uh, attending churches as the Spirit of God instructs them to go. Uh, now, that's, that's probably the exception rather than a rule because some people will go to church because of that building. Well, I've gone to that building, you know, for 87 years and I've, I've seen 12 different pastors come through there. And, um, and is that okay? You know, I'm not their judge. I don't know. Um, uh, you, you should go where the Spirit of God instructs you to go. Uh, and then uh, and then leave it at that. Right. Uh, and and that's when I went to my pastor's church. The Lord specifically told me to go to his church and um, and he never told me to leave. And I was there till my pastor went home to be with the Lord. Uh, and then it, and we even stayed for five months after that. And then one day the Lord said, it's time to go. And I told the Lord already before he told me that if you want me to stay here forever, I'll stay here forever. Even after my pastor was gone, if you want me to stay here, you know, till forever, I'll stay here till forever. Uh, and then that way, when he says it's time to go, see, then, then it's not me uh, just getting what I've been wanting. Well, I just want to leave. I just want to leave. And then the Lord says to leave. Well, OK, then I get to leave now. Are you sure that was the Lord? Are you sure? Or, or could it be possibly that you just think you heard something and now you're just reacting to uh, what you want to do? And so um, so it's always good. And it goes back to the prayer of uh, consecration, dedication we spent earlier on. But always praying that, Lord, I want, I'm here to do your will. Whatever your will is, I'm here to do your will. As long as you want me to do it, I'm here to do your will. And that kind of removes all of the carnal um, jockeying for position, jockeying for this or that, or, you know, just going to every different church until, you, until you, one makes you happy. Uh, you know, it does away with all that mess, and then you can uh, go somewhere and get planted uh, and, and be a, a help to the pastor and the ministry. Because, um, you know, my observation is that the most spiritually mature people are people that are stable in where they go to church. Uh, and the flakiest people that I ever meet are always people who, you know, how many churches have you gone to in the last five years? Well, 23. I mean, I can almost guarantee you that this person's flaky. Their doctrine is flaky. Uh, how they think is flaky. Uh, you know, they're not great servants. They're, they're, they're pretty much only in it for themselves. Um, and, you know, if uh, the church needs help, they're not anywhere to be found, you know, because, well, you know, they need to do that on our own. You know, I'm, not, I'm not called to do that. Uh, we're, we're all called to be servants, right? Uh, and so, uh, and really, this prayer that we're here in, in uh, praying with other tongues is really a good way, and we're going to go through a lot of reasons why you pray with other tongues, but one of the greatest advantages of praying in other tongues is your connection to the realm of the Spirit becomes stronger. And the closer you can walk in the realm of the Spirit, the more stable your life becomes in every area of your life, both in your natural life and your thinking and your physical life and your spiritual life. 
Everything comes because a lot more, the more you pray in the spirit, because you're most connected to the realm of the spirit and the realm of the spirit is where all of our answers are. Uh, and so, uh, so we kind of laid the groundwork of that every Christian ought to be spirit filled. Every Christian ought to be, ought to speak with other tongues as the spirit gives them utterance. And, and you can pray with, uh, once you're spirit filled, you can pray in other tongues anytime you want to, right? There's no, uh, it's not just for certain times or seasons or whatever. Uh, and, um, uh, and I understand, especially if you grew up, say, in a denominational church and you weren't ever taught about uh, uh, the Holy Spirit, praying with other tongues and that sort of thing. You know, it can be a it can be a um, an unusual thing to pursue. Right. It can be something that, well, you know, didn't know anything about that. And um, and I understand that because, you know, I didn't grow up in church, so I didn't know anything about church at all. And. And to be honest, I didn't really know there was a, such a thing called the Holy Spirit. I never really heard about it, never really knew about it. You know, you know about Jesus because you watch the, you know, uh, whatever the shows on TV, right? Uh, you know about God because of the Ten Commandments. And, um, you know, I think Ben-Hur, wasn't that about uh, didn't, when Jesus and Ben-Hur, right? Uh, and so Charlton Heston, right? I think he was required by law to play all the big uh, Christian shows, right? Uh, and so... Um, so, you know, I knew about those things in general, you know, not anything specific, but didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. And so when I got born again, I went to a spirit filled church and they started talking about the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, I became intrigued and started, you know, even even early on as a baby Christian, I could sense the spirit of God, you know, to go to the service and we'd have great praise and worship or there'd be some move of the spirit. And I could sense the spirit of God, you know, because we're all if we're born again, we have the spirit of God in us. We have, the Bible says that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Uh, and so we have the ability to sense the Spirit of God. I think every Christian can do that. Uh, sense the move of God, sense the Spirit of God. And, uh, but then they kept teaching about the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues. And, and I thought, well, you know, that's something that I think I want to do. Uh, but, and this is just me, right? I came out of the womb this way. I needed more information, right? I was like, okay, well, well, how does this work? You know, where does it come from? What what color is it, right? How big is it? I don't, you know, I didn't know any of these questions. I didn't know even I didn't know any. I didn't even know right. Didn't know the right questions to even ask. Uh, and so, but I've been going to this church now for a while, and um, someone someone came up to me and said, are, "Are you are you do you speak with tongues yet? No, no. Well, well, you know, you need to. I know, I know." Well, let me pray for you right now. Well, you know, I'm not quite ready yet. You know, well, I'm praying for you anyway. And they slapped their head on me. Now, now I pray in other tongues. How do I do it? I mean, you said to do it, but what does that even mean? You know, I don't know what that means. Uh, and and it was, I was a little annoyed because I said I wasn't ready and it, they, they slapped their hand on my head anyway. Shut up, pray in tongues. Well, do you want me to shut up? You want to pray in other tongues, right? I mean, which way is it, you know? Uh, and sometimes in our zeal, we become, you know, uh, Sometimes their zeal overrides kindness, right? If someone says they're not ready, then that doesn't mean they're bad people, you know. Uh, and should they be ready? I, you know, I don't know. Are you their Lord Jesus? I mean, I'm not the Lord Jesus of anybody, and, uh, and I'm not going to judge somebody. Well, you should be ready. Well, based on, uh, are you God? I mean, you know, maybe I should be ready. Well, everybody in Acts got it as soon as they believe. Well, that's fine. You know, that's great, uh, you know, oh, oh, spiritual one. But, you know, uh, I just plot along sometimes and, and I'm working towards a goal. It's not like, you know, some people tarry and they tarry for decades. I wasn't tarrying, right? I wasn't tarrying. I'm waiting on the Holy Ghost. I wasn't waiting on the Holy Ghost. I was trying to get my, my heart and mind uh, to the understanding of what this thing means because, you know, it just 
just that's just the way that I'm, I'm made, you know. And, and is that a good thing or bad thing? I think it's neither good nor bad. It's just it is what it is. Uh, and so, uh, and it was so it was about a year and a half after I got born again. So I'm just you know I'm just 17 years old now or so, uh, and uh, uh, and I was actually at a John Olstein uh, tent meeting in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Uh, anybody remember John Osteen? You know, he's Joel's, Joel Osteen's father, right? Uh, and uh, he's the one who started Lakewood Church. And, uh, now, I don't think it's called Lakewood Church. Is it still called Lakewood Church? And, uh, so, um, anyway, so he had a tent revival in, in uh, Murfreesboro, and I was there, and he said, who wants to, who wants to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues? And I just sent him, okay, it's my time. So I went up, got prayed for, and, um, and I could speak about three words in other tongues, you know. But they were my three words. And so I'd get up every day and um, pray in my three tongues, you know. Uh, and and uh, three words or so, you know, it, it was very, very limited in my vocabulary. Uh, and, um, uh, and so it was October of that year. They had a full gospel businessmen's uh, conference in Nashville, Tennessee. And, uh, and so I went to that and, and attended that. And, uh, and you know, it, when I look back, uh, you know, even as a teenager, I would go to these big conferences. You know, there was a Nashville, Tennessee at the major, I forget the hotel it was in, but thousands of people were there at this Full Gospel Businessmen's Conference. And I was there by myself as a teenager. And um, I'm sure, you know, people like Brother Hagen, I know T.L. Osborne was at some of those things, and Norval Hayes was at some of those things. And, you know, who knows? And I didn't know these people, you know, but I thought, that guy's pretty good. I wonder if he'll ever make anything of himself, you know. And because <laughs> I didn't know these people. I didn't grow up with these people. Uh, but there, there was a, uh, one fella in particular from Australia that was there, and um, uh, and he was really uh, uh, he was really uh, a great speaker, and uh, I actually found out uh, that he had passed away just last year, and um, uh, and so uh, he said, you know, if anybody wants to, we're going to go pray for these people here, and do some extra praying for them, and if anybody wants to come and help us, come join us. And I thought, well, praise God, I'm going to go join him. You know, he said, we can go back in the back room and pray. And we're going to go back. I'm going to go back to the back room and pray. Uh, and so we were just praying for them. And he, and, he, and he said, okay, let's pray in the spirit for this person. And so I started praying in other tongues. And, and uh, uh, as soon as I started praying in other tongues, I could sense a release in, in my spirit that, that I could just start speaking fluently in other tongues. So it took me about a month, a month or six weeks or so from the time that they laid hands on me till the time that it really really kicked in, and, and I just attribute that to me being slow about things, you know, and it, it wasn't God withholding anything from me at all, just, you know, speaking with other tongues, really like anything of the Lord requires you to yield to Him, uh, and that's one reason why it's good to speak in other tongues, because it trains you to yield to the Spirit, and that's one of the best things you can teach yourself is how to uh, be yielded to the Spirit. So every Christian, every child of God should be uh, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Uh, you can do that on your own. You can do that by having hands laid on you. That's the most common way to do it. Um, uh, you know, uh, the, if you go back to the, to the Azusa revival and, and look at um, Charles Parham, who's actually in Kansas. Uh, William Seymour was the fellow in, in, um, in Azusa Street. Uh, but Charles Parham had a Bible school there uh, in Kansas. I think it was in Wichita, Kansas, but it was in Kansas. And um, uh, they had been reading about the Holy Spirit and going through the book of Acts and, and they, they came to the conclusion that this seems like something we should be doing but nobody's doing it. Nobody's praying with other tongues but it seems like from reading the book of Acts that everybody ought to be doing it. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to set up a prayer vigil and we're going to pray 24 hours a day around the clock. And you sign up for your time slot and we're going to pray and ask the Lord to, to, to give us this gift because we believe that we should have this gift. And, and, um, and so that's what they started doing. They just, somebody was responsible for praying 24 hours uh, uh, throughout the whole day. Uh, and then one day, one of the girls in the, in the school uh, received the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. Uh, and then it, 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 from that point, it really caught on as a revival and just went around the world. And Charles, uh, Charles Parham then, then met William Seymour, and William Seymour took it to Azusa Street, and they started all the miracles and signs and wonders there. Uh, and that really is what kicked off the whole uh, speaking of the tongues again. You know, it's, it's, as far as I can read in history, every century probably has had people speaking with other tongues, but it was never, you know, it kind of died out after the second or third century or so uh, because it's kind of odd for, for intelligent people, educated people think it's odd, and so they will resist the move of the Spirit. And, and many times the church gets consumed with in, uh, intelligence and education, and it uh, educates the Spirit of God right out of the church. Uh, and so... Every century, though, is probably uh, has spoken with other tongues, uh, but it came kicked back on in the early 1900s. And then uh, as men are wont to do, we nearly snuffed it out by measuring skirt length and hair length and, you know, how much deodorant you're wearing and all kinds of silly things. And, uh, and, uh, and then the Lord kicked in the healing revival in the 40s and then he kicked on the, the uh, charismatic renewal uh, there in the 60s and 70s, which is really a, a rebirth of the teaching gift as much as it was speaking of the tongues, but the teaching gift really came into its own in the charismatic uh, revival. Uh, and, and so now, you know, it's, uh, you find uh, people that speak with other tongues in every denomination, even if they're secrets, you know. I mean, I know people that go to about every denomination I can think of. I know somebody that, that uh, speaks with other tongues that goes to those churches, and I think it's great. Um, and so, uh, so, uh, but we should look at, see what the Word of God says about it. And, and the best place to start, really, is in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14. And so before we read verse 1, we're going to read uh, the verse 1 out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, and so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. But if you notice, is uh, anybody reading from the King James Version? Who's got a King James Version? So uh, uh, is... Uh, what's unique about the word gifts there in that verse? Of course, it's, it, you won't see it on here because it's not, they don't show that there, but uh, uh, Miss Nancy, you say you got the King James Version? What's, what's your gifts? That, is it something different about that word than any of other words? Uh, is, the gifts, is the word gifts italicized? It's not italicized? Yeah, so it's, yeah slightly different. Uh, well, that means it's italicized. What that means for the King James is when the translators wrote the King James translation, you know, they added a bunch of words on occasion to make the sentence flow, right? Because sometimes, you know, Greek words, or Greek sentences flow different than English. And so to help us English readers, they would add words on occasion uh, to help us understand what was, what was put there. And so if it's italicized, that means that this was not in the original language. This was not in the original uh, manuscript from the Greek. This is an English word that we added for your convenience. So you can legally take it out because it wasn't there to begin with, right? Uh, and so really it says, now concerning spiritual brethren, I would not have you ignorant. That's what the original first said. And so it's really saying, now concerning things pertaining to and of the spirit realm. Uh, 
then here's what I want to tell you about things related to the realm of the spirit. So it was more than just spiritual gifts. It's, it's the, these, uh, in fact, he calls them in verse 4 gifts. In verse 5, he calls them administrations. And in verse 6, he calls them operations. And so uh, these are all areas of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. So it's not just spiritual gifts. Because usually the word gift is the Greek word charisma, which is where we get the charismatics from. So we get that from charismatic, from charisma, from the Greek word. That's where the word, are you a charismatic? Well, that means that you're somebody who believes in the gifts of the Spirit, right? The, the charismatic gifts. Uh, and so, uh, in fact, that word there in verse 4, now there are a diversity of gifts. That word gifts there is charisma. Uh, and so uh, that, that's where we get that from. So one of the gifts of the Spirit then coming down to verse 10 is, uh, well, if we just start in verse 8, for to one is given the spirit. For to one is given by the spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another the gifts of healing. That word gifts there again is charisma, uh, of healing by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another uh, discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And so the last two spiritual gifts that are of interest to us for for this teaching is. Uh, diverse kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues uh, and so so there are tongues right so tongues so what what are tongues well tongues are, are a prayer language that's given to you the as uh, uh, Acts chapter 2 said that uh, they are words given to uh, they spoke as a spirit gave them utterance so they are words that come up from the spirit of God to your spirit and they come up out of your spirit, man, and your voice gives words to those, uh, to those words that the Spirit of God gives you. And if you remember, uh, in fact, uh, it would be good just to read the context of that back in Acts chapter 2, uh, where they were actually originally filled. And we're going to come back to, to uh, 1 Corinthians. So don't lose your place there. But in Acts chapter 2, uh, it says... Uh, in verse 4, and they were all filled with the Spirit, of, with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak. So who, who did the speaking? They did, right? Uh, the, 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 and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So you do the speaking. You know, is the Holy Spirit going to make you say words? He's not going to make you say words. That's where you've got to yield to the Holy Spirit. So what if you don't think that tongues are for you? Well, that's called rebellion, right? Because did Jesus is the head of the church. That he's the one who said he would send the Holy Spirit. He said he was going to send the Holy Spirit, right? So if, he, so if you say it's not for me, then you're saying to the head of the church, Lord Jesus, you're the head of the church. You establish the church upon your rules, upon the foundation of you going to the cross. Uh, uh, you're the head of the church. You run the church how you see fit, but you're wrong. Uh, I, as a created being made out of dust and clay, know more than you do. And have decided uh, in my infinite wisdom that tongues are something that I should not be involved with. Now, that sounds awful uh, prideful to say it that way, right? But if you say tongues are not for me, that's what you're saying. You're saying that you know more than the head of the church. And that the head of the church made a mistake by giving this gift to all of us, right? Uh, and he should have only given it to a select few crazy people. And the rest, normal, intelligent human beings should not have uh, uh, the Spirit of God was speaking in tongues. Now, we, of course, we don't say that because that would be terrible uh, to say things like that, right? Uh, no, if, if the head of the church 
has instructed us that he's given us the Holy Spirit. And he said, don't do anything until you're filled with the Spirit. Then what should every Christian do? Get filled with the Spirit, right? Uh, and, and you really, there, you shouldn't do any work of God until you're filled with the Spirit. I mean, according to, the, to what the, the instructions that the head of the church gave to us, he said, don't do anything until you're filled with the Spirit. Then you can go do stuff. Uh, and so, so now, so, so of the nine gifts of the Spirit, tongues and interpretation of tongues are the topic for today. So, so it's a prayer because you're praying with other tongues, right? So you can use tongues for prayer. Uh, and so 1 Corinthians 14 is really a great uh, uh, dissertation on tongues. And, you know, uh, we could probably dissect chapter 14 till the Lord Jesus comes back. So we'll try not to spend uh, years and years upon this. But I think it'd be good to just go through because uh, nearly the entire chapter is about the topic of speaking with other tongues. Uh, and so in verse 1 of chapter 14, he starts out with follow after charity. And, you know, again, I don't know why the King James translators decided in this case to, to translate the word love to charity. Because charity always has an implication of you giving food to the hungry or clothes to the needy or, or money to the, to the poor. Uh, but, the, but love is so much more than that, right? Love is how you think and how you speak and how you act to everybody in every circumstance. Uh, and so he said, follow after charity, right? So we, we should pursue the love of God. Uh, in fact, uh, in verse 13 of, uh, of chapter 13, just before that, says, and now abide faith, hope, and charity, or faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is what? Is love, right? So the greatest thing that you can learn in all of, the, all of your Christian walk is the true love of God, right? It's greater than faith. It's greater than hope. It's greater than speaking in tongues. It's the greatest thing because it's the most like God that you can be. The more that you walk in the agape love of God, the most that you look like God. Uh, so it's not in your giving, right? Whether it's giving of yourself or giving of food or giving clothes, that's not how you look the most like God. Walking in love is how you look the most like God. So he said, follow after charity, pursue charity, right? In fact, at the end of chapter 12, uh, verse 31, he says, but covet earnestly the best gifts that were gifts there. Again, is charisma, right? The supernatural uh, miracle gifts that he mentions, the, the, the nine of them that he mentioned earlier. He said, covet earnestly. Uh, so that's a strong word, right? Because uh, we know that uh, according to the Ten Commandments that we're not supposed to covet, right? Thou shalt not covet. And, but the specifics are thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Uh, is your neighbor's cousin okay? I don't know, you know, but it specifically said wife, and so we're going we're gonna to be, you know, what about your neighbor's sister? You know, is that okay? I, I don't know, you know, but, um, um, you know, we're being facetious, right? Uh, but uh, here, Paul is telling us, Paul, the, the great Jewish, you know, proselyte that became a Christian who knows the Ten Commandments, said to covet earnestly. So not just covet, but covet earnestly, strongly desire the best spiritual gifts, right? So the gifts there are not, Gifts as uh, there's another Greek word like dorma is, is one of the Greek words for gifts, which is just a present, you know, to give to somebody. Uh, but the gifts here are the manifestations of the spirit, right? Uh, the, where, the, where the spirit of God moves in a supernatural way. So plenty of people have taken these nine spiritual gifts and have converted them to, to nine, not spiritual gifts, but nine natural gifts. So, for example, where it says uh, that for the one is given the, by the spirit, the word of wisdom. Oh, that person just really smart. So they have the word of wisdom. That's not the word of wisdom. That's not the word of wisdom is not intelligence. The word of wisdom is 
insight into the mind uh, and thoughts of God. And, and it deals with future events. Uh, and we don't, we're not going to go through all nine gifts, but, but people have tried to convert those gifts into natural things that you can go, go take a class on and, and obtain. You can't take a class and obtain any of these. They are given to you. In fact, it says... Uh, in verse 11 of chapter 12, but all these worketh that one in the safe self same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So, uh, and we're going to talk about tongues in relation to that uh, because tongues can be used in two different ways, both public and private. And in this context of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he's talking about the public use of speaking with other tongues. And we'll look at that in chapter 14. But all the gifts of the spirit are given to us to use and to be used by God as he sees fit, right? So you can't, well, I'll just, let me give you a word of wisdom. I just feel like I should give you a word of wisdom. Well, it's not got anything to do with you, right? You can only do that if the Spirit of God wills for it to happen. Uh, and so he said to follow after charity. So always we follow after love, right? Always. That's always a thing we should do. Uh, and if we'll do that, we'll always be safe. And, and really, uh, he, uh, if you look at the whole context of, the first Corinthians. Um, in, in fact, earlier on in first Corinthians, Paul said, you come behind and no good gift. Uh, and they were, they were, it was a church that was a full blown Pentecostal charismatic church. They were speaking in tongues everywhere, prophesying everywhere, you know, word of wisdom, word of knowledge everywhere. Uh, it, it was one of these, probably a holy roller church. You know, they were probably swinging from the chandeliers, you know, and, and probably, you know, rolling up under the pews and, you know, all the kind of crazy stuff, you know, that, uh, uh, we, we hear from days gone by. Uh, and, and yet Paul also said, you are carnal and walk as mere unchanged men. Why? Because they did not walk in love. Uh, they, they, they love to elevate the value of the gifts of spirit. Look at us. We can prophesy what you had for breakfast yesterday. We can give you a word of wisdom for what you should do tomorrow. We can uh, heal the sick. We can raise the dead. We can do all these wonderful things. Uh, but they weren't walking in love. You know, somebody would come in and sin, you know, First Corinthians chapter 5 with a man with his, with his uh, stepmother, you know, having uh, natural relations with his stepmother, uh, and nobody was doing anything about it. Well, love doesn't just let people live in sin. Love tries to get people out of sin. Love always wants the best for you as God defines what's best for you, not what you define as best for you. Uh, and what's best for you if you're in sin is to get out of the sin. Well, you know, what's best for them is to leave them alone. That's not what's best for them, right? Now, if the Lord tells you to leave them alone, that's, that's different, but... You know, if somebody's in sin, the very best thing for them, get them out of sin. Uh, and yet Paul said, you're just, you know, everybody knows it. Nobody's doing anything about it. So, so really, they didn't care about that fellow. They cared more about the reputation of their church. Well, we don't want to be, we don't want to be a judgmental church. You know, we're not going to be one of those churches. So what they're saying is we're not going to walk in love. We're going to walk in our emotions. Uh, and if somebody is in sin, we're just going to turn a blind eye and, you know, we're not going to deal with it. And even though everybody knows about it and it's causing, you know, conflict in the church, we're not going to do anything about it. And, and, and that just shows how little people walk in love sometimes because if they're doing that, you know, now listen, if it's a private thing that nobody else knows of except for them and God, well, then you can deal with it on a private level. But if it's a public thing that everybody knows about and, uh, and, and here's the thing, in every church, you got people of varying spiritual maturity. Amen. And there are things that, that you know, uh, as I don't know that I'm the most mature person ever in the whole world, but there are plenty of things that I could see someone do. Wouldn't bother me a bit. You know, I'd pray for them and Lord help them. And, and, and if Lord, if you want me to assist them, I'll be glad to assist them.
But their sin doesn't repulse me, you know, because number one, we're, aren't we sent to the sinners? If the, sinner, if the sin of a sinner repulses me, then how am I ever going to minister to a sinner? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And yet, I have seen other Christians who tell me, oh, pastor, I saw so-and-so in town, and it was a, you know, a couple, and they were the same gender, and they held hands, and it just made me sick. And I'm thinking, why didn't you go witness to him? Tell him how much God loves him, and, and tell him how much he cares about him, and, and cares for their future, and Oh, I'm sorry, you can't do that because the, their sin makes you sick. Well, that's because you're immature. Corinthian is what you are, right? Yeah. In fact, uh, there, people would call, if, if they didn't like you, they'd call you, you're a Corinthian. You know, I mean, that, it was used as a negative, right? It's used as, as a way to insult people. Oh, you're a Corinthian, right? You're one of them. Just like some people say, oh, you're one of, you're, you're one of the people from Tennessee. That means you don't wear shoes or, you know, you means you can't talk right. Uh, I mean, they use that in a negative sense, don't they, right? And now people from Tennessee don't think it's negative to be here, but, um, you know, I love Tennessee, but, um, uh, and so, uh, so the church at Corinth, although they had all the spiritual gifts and manifestation, they were doing all kinds of miracles and fancy things. Paul said, you're immature. You're carnal as walk as mere unchanged men. Why? Because you do not want to walk in love. And so that's why in, in any discussion about the supernatural, you always have to make sure that love is considered because people will get the big head and, and, you know, I mean, just think if we started growing arms and legs out here, right? Uh, and, you know, I believe we'll be able to do that someday and as the Spirit wills, right? If the Spirit of God wants us to do that, you know, no problem with me. I'd be glad to do it. Uh, but the temptation would be to suddenly think, well, we must be somebody because look at us. Look what we're doing. We're doing these fancy things here and people getting healed and all kinds of stuff. And we forget about walking in love. And so... That's why Paul is making sure uh, right in the middle of uh, chapter 12 where he identifies the nine gifts of spirit and then chapter 14 where he goes into details specifically about speaking other tongues, also a gift of spirit. Right in the middle of that is chapter 13 about walking in love. And, and that's, it's right there because the charismatic church has always gotten out of balance. You know, if you go back to the Pentecostal church and how um, after... Uh, after the, the great moves of God kind of waned and he wanted the people to walk in faith. They didn't walk in faith. They walked in, in uh, terrible unkindness about people just being so mean to people and harsh to people. And, you know, oh, you don't, you know, if you wear perfume, you're going to die and go to hell. If you wear the jewelry, you're going to die and go to hell. If you do that, you're going to die and go to hell. You know, everything was going to send you to hell. And you're like, well, could you give me anything that gets to get me to heaven? I mean, what, you know, give me a, one or two, you know, things here to get me to heaven. Uh, because it's really easy for us to stop walking in love. So follow after charity. You know, pursue it. Uh, but also don't forget verse 31. But covet earnestly the best gifts, the best supernatural miracle working gifts. Uh, and they said, I'll show you a more excellent way, which is the walking in love, right? So covet earnestly, but also pursue love, right? Covet earnestly. So, so the whole church, we all, and I think we do a good job, you know, I think we can even do better. But um, we should all covet earnestly for God. You need to move supernaturally in our church. Uh, and, uh, and really, I think that the greatest moves of God come when the church as a whole, everybody in the church is all covet, uh, coveting earnestly the move of God uh, and always keeping an eye to make sure that they walk in love. Uh, and he said and back in chapter 14, verse 1, follow up to charity and desire spiritual gifts. Uh, Anybody got a King James Version? What's the, what is that word gifts? Is it italicized? It's a different uh, lettering, right? So what's that mean? 
I mean, they added it, right? It wasn't there to begin with. So really, verse 1 says, follow after charity and desire spiritual or things pertaining to and of the Holy Spirit. So we should desire everything that relates to the Holy Spirit. The moves of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit of God, the prophecy from the Spirit. We should desire, isn't that what it says? Right? That's, is that a commandment or, or a suggestion? It's a commandment, right? So um, what if you think, well, uh, what if someone comes along and says, well, uh, we shouldn't desire spiritual gifts because that's your wrong. Well, my first reaction was, uh, the Word of God tells me to do that. So, um, you know, uh, someone says, someone one time said that, well, you know, the problem with the, with the charismatic church is we're desiring spiritual gifts and we should be desiring Jesus instead. So, so you're saying the Word of God is wrong? You're saying that Paul twice told us here in, in these two verses, in verse 31 and, and verse 1, and, and I think he also tells us again um, uh, in verse 39 of chapter 14, wherefore brethren covet desire to prophesy. Well, prophesy, prophesying is one of the spiritual gifts, right? So he tells us three times in these two chapters uh, to desire spiritual gifts. So if I come up and say, well, you know, you, all, all you charismatic Pentecostal people, you're wrong for desiring spiritual gifts. Uh, that's where we should raise our hand and go, can we just read the Bible? Let's just read what the Bible says, right? So if the Bible tells me to cover earnestly the best gifts, what should I do? I should cover earnestly the best gifts, right? The, the, the gifts of the Spirit. If the Bible says to desire spiritual gifts or things pertaining to another Holy Spirit, what should I do? I should desire spiritual gifts. I should desire the move of the Spirit, right? That's what I should do. Uh, and uh, so anything else, if you say anything else, if you say that it's wrong to desire these things, well, then you're out of order. You're out of alignment with the Word of God. Amen? Because that's what the Word of God says. So we're going to follow the Word of God. You know, uh, we're going to desire spiritual gifts. And, and uh, you know, just in my general prayer life, I'm always praying, Lord, I thank you that our church, that we have uh, signs and wonders and diverse miracles, diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit and manifestation operation all the time in our church. Uh, and, and that covers, you know, kind of a lot of different things, right? Uh, and so, so First Corinthians chapter 1 is kind of a good place to start, right? I'm going to see if I can find a particular verse over here in uh, the book of Hebrews. So uh, I think it's in Hebrews chapter 2. We'll see if we can't find it here. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, he said um, in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, he says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed uh, unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So what came first in verses 3 and 4? Did the word come first or the spiritual gifts come first? Uh, the word came first, right? Because it which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, right? So the, so the word of God comes first. And that should always be the order of every charismatic and Pentecostal church. It should always be the word of God first and the spirit of God second. Always in that order. If it's the spirit of God first, then you'll you get into fanaticism. You get into crazy stuff. Uh, but if you always start with the word of God, you'll always be safe. Amen. But if you start with the word of God and forget the spirit of God, then you'll say things like you shouldn't desire spiritual gifts. Well, then you're neglecting uh, what the word was spoken. You're really doing the very thing that you're saying that you shouldn't do. You're neglecting the word of God. And so if the word of God says to, to desire spiritual gifts or things pertaining to and of the Holy Spirit, then we will desire spiritual gifts and th things pertaining to and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so... Then he starts in verse 2. He says, For he that speaketh 
and in unknown tongues speaketh not unto men but unto God. So now this is talking about your personal prayer life of speaking with other tongues. So uh, it says that when you're, when you're speaking with other tongues, then I'm not speaking to you, right? I'm speaking to God because if I speak with other tongues to you, are you going to understand it? Well, you're not going to understand it, right? I mean, you could by the Spirit, but, but it's just natural speaking. You're not going to understand it. And so now, now tongues themselves, uh, uh, Paul said over in verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 1, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. So praying with other tongues, you, you can pray with other tongues. It's, it's just really a language that you do not know. It could be the language of man, of mankind somewhere on the earth that you don't know. It could be a heavenly language that nobody on the earth would be able to interpret. Uh, but there's plenty of stories where people would prophesy or, or speak out something in tongues and someone in the audience could speak a foreign language and they said, well, I understood everything that you said there. You were speaking Hebrew or German or Chinese or whatever. Uh, and I understood really for the most part what you were saying. Uh, and so tongues can be... Uh, uh, a, a language that another human being could understand, but it's always a language that you, that you do not understand. And you just have to yield to that as you speak with other tongues. Uh, and so, uh, and, you know, uh, in, in all of our prayer lives, the more that you yield to the Spirit of God in the air of speaking with other tongues, the more that you'll find that, you know, usually what happens is just an observation. It's not a law in the Word of God, but just an observation uh, talking to many people and, and, and studying this topic out. But usually what happens, most people will kind of settle into a, a specific tongue that they will use for the most part. They, they, they recognize it. You know, you say certain words, you recognize those words, those vowels, even though you don't know what they mean. Uh, but you will recognize the flow and the, the kind of uh, the sounds that you make in a particular prayer language. But on occasion, the Lord will change that, you know, in times of intense prayer. Uh, you will change that and, and you, will, you, will, you will notice that your, that your prayer language in other tongues changes. And that happens to me on a regular basis that in times and seasons, you know, as I'm praying, you know, I just kind of settle into the same kind of tongues that I normally use. But then as I, as I press into the spirit more, that tongue will change and, and I can sense it. I can sense that this changes. I can sense that uh, maybe it's, it's uh, more um, aggressive or more, more boisterous. Uh, and uh, and I just you, uh, really you you use those times to learn how to flow with the spirit because the spirit of God wants you to get somewhere in the realm of the spirit and he will cause those tongues to change and you have to yield to that uh, and allow that to happen in your life. And, and it's really good practice to teach yourself how to be led by the spirit of God and how to yield to the spirit of God. Uh, and so he said, for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. For no man understandeth him, understandeth him, how be it in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. So now, now we get into uh, one of the most important things about praying with other tongues at the end of the verse, that how be it in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. So are there any mysteries with God? Is there anything God's just sitting around one day and you say, hey, Lord, did you know this thing over here happened? And the Lord will go, wow. Until you said that that was a mystery to me, but thanks for letting me know. I, I didn't know that. Is, is that ever going to happen? Never going to happen, right? So are there any mysteries with God? No mysteries with God. So, so on which side between us and God is there a mystery? It's our side, right? So um, the goal of praying with other tongues many times is to speak out mysteries. So once a mystery is spoken out, then it's no longer a mystery. So uh, one of the great purposes of, of praying with other tongues 
is to pray out things that you don't know, right? So, I mean, do you know what you're going to be doing tomorrow? You don't know. So that's a good time to pray in other tongues. Lord, I, you know, I don't know what you want me to do, so I'm going to spend time in prayer in other tongues to speak of those mysteries. And then they become revelation knowledge, and then, and then uh, that's one way to find out what you should be doing in your life. Well, Lord, I just feel like, I, you know, I don't know what I should be doing in my life. Well, if you'll pray in other tongues long enough, you will find out what you should be doing in your life. Uh, and, you know, Chris and I had a good example with this. Uh, back in um, 2012, you know, at the beginning of the year, in 2012, we were still pastoring the church in Cookville, right? Uh, and, um, and we were doing the Bible study here in Dayton once a week. Uh, and we just sensed in our heart, there's, there's something that needs to change. We don't know what it is, but we just sense. And that's often the times where the Spirit of God will lead us. He will give us an unction of, of here's something that needs to be done. Now you go, you go do something about it. And the only thing you can do about it is to pray it out because you don't know what to do. But he gives you that unction because we have to do the praying. He didn't say he's going to pray and do our praying for us. Now he does pray for us, but he doesn't do our praying for us. We have to do our praying for us. Uh, and so he'll give you that unction. And then you've got to speak out those mysteries. So we spent a lot of time in 2012 praying in other tongues. Lord, we don't know what to do. Uh, you know, we, we sense that something needs to change, but we don't know what it is that needs to change. So we're going to start praying in other tongues. And, uh, and we'd pray and then we'd, have, and they would say, well, what if we do this, right? What if we just, you know, like add another service uh, and just, just add a different service to the week uh, and just down our spirit man, you know, that doesn't seem right. So we just go back and praying in tongues for a while. We pray in tongues for a day, a week, you know, a month or so. Uh, and, it, and then we, then another question would come up. Well, what if we do this? Change it this way. I thought, no, that's still not it. I mean, that's a good, that's, you know, and none of them were wrong. None of them were immoral or unethical. They were just different, different ideas, right? And so, you know, until you sign on the dotted line, there's nothing wrong with, so what if we do that, you know? Um, and, and where people miss it is, they get under pressure to change something and they'll just go change things until they find out what's wrong, what, what works for them. And that's really a terrible way to do it because how many mistakes you're going to make along the way that you go do something where we're going to go, you know, put gold plated uh, chairs everywhere. Well, that'd be really expensive, you know, because you know, people really like gold. I mean, maybe they do. I don't know. But, you know, you could do it and they'd be like, you know, that didn't really work out too good. That's really not the best way to do things. You know, I know sometimes it is trial and error, but. Uh, but if you can, it's always best to find these things out in the realm of the spirit. So we just kept on praying. And then finally we said, well, what if we just swap everything and just have a Bible study in Cookville and have the church here in Dayton? Uh, and and um, I mean, a Bible study really is church, but it's not really quite the same thing. It's not organized as a church. It just, you know, it's not uh, chartered as a church. It's just kind of a community Bible study, right? And, but our Bible study was really a lot like church anyway because we'd get up and we'd preach from a pulpit and that sort of thing. So, uh, but we said, well, uh, what if we just swap everything? And then when we said that, that's it. That's the answer. Now, it took us months to get to that point. And, and we didn't get to that point except by praying in other tongues because it was a mystery. We didn't know what to do. It was a mystery to us. We didn't know what to do. But, you know, we desired to do the will of God. And so, we said, well, what if we change this? We knew something needed to change. But we didn't know what needed to change, so we just, well, let's try this. Uh, uh, and, and like, no, that's not the right thing, you know. And we'd say, well, well, let's try, what if we do this? No, that's not right. So finally we said, well, let's swap everything. Yeah, that's all right. That, that down here in our spirit, man, that, that agreed with what the Holy Spirit had been praying uh, all this year about. And then we, you know, we went to uh, 
Brother Randy, we went to Dr. Dufresne, went to other ministers that we know, talked about him, said, hey, we just sense that the Spirit of God is doing this, uh, that wants us to make this change. You know, what do you think? And 100%, everybody said, oh, yeah, we already knew that, you know. Uh, or, yeah, oh, yeah, that's absolutely what you should do, right? And the ones who said, oh, yeah, we already knew that, it's like, well, thanks for telling me, right? I, I could have saved myself months of praying, right? Uh, of course, it's not good to tell somebody what they should do. Well, you, what you should do is this. Well, then you're their God, right? I'm not your God. Uh, we'll just keep praying, brother, you know, let me know. And, and, uh, and so, but it was good confirmation, right? We, we sensed in our heart that was the right thing. Dr. Dufresne said it was the right thing to do. Brother Randy said it was the right thing to do. You know, other, other pastor friends told us it was the right thing to do. And, you know, but we didn't, we didn't go and ask them what we should do. God wants us to make a change. What should, what should we do? You, you should never do that. Because as, as New Testament spirit-filled Christians, we have the capacity to pray out mysteries. Right? If, you don't, if, you don't, if you don't know what to do, you pray the mysteries out until you know what to do. Uh, and that's one of the greatest values of people. Well, there's no value in speaking on the tongues. Oh, you, never th- you know everything? I mean, you must be a bigger, bigger man than I am because I don't know anything. I mean, I barely know how to get out of bed in the morning, you know. And so uh, I got to pray in t- the tongues to know what to do. Uh, and so, uh, and I pray in tongues a lot. Just, you know, just, uh, I mean, I'll spend time in prayer in other tongues. But just between here and there, I'm praying in other tongues just about all the time. And, and so, because I, I got to know what to do. I got to know where to go and I, I got to know what to say. Uh, and so, how be it in the spirit, he speaketh mysteries. So there are, mystery, no, there are no mysteries with God. The mysteries are only on our side, and we've got to find out what these mysteries are. And, and one of the greatest ways is to speak with other tongues, is to pray in other tongues. Uh, but then he says, But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men uh, to edification, exhortation, and comfort. So now in 1 Corinthians 12, he makes a distinction between prophecy and tongues and interpretation of tongues. So the word prophecy means to speak by sudden inspiration. So to prophesy doesn't mean to speak out future events, right? That's really, uh, in the New Testament, things have changed a little bit. In the Old Testament, prophecy was always future events, right? What's going to happen, all the prophets would speak about, you know, Ezekiel and Isaiah would speak about what's going to happen in the future, prophesy about the coming of the Lord. Then we get into the New Testament and things changed a little bit that, uh, that uh, the, the gift of prophecy specifically, uh, if you look up the Greek word, it means to speak by sudden inspiration, so that could be dealing with future events, but it also could just be saying the right thing at the right time. And really, uh, most preaching ought to be done by the spirit of prophecy, not in a sense of always uh, uh, teaching about end time events, but always what you're saying should be done by the spirit of God. Uh, and, you know, for me, uh, and I think any, any seasoned, at least charismatic minister, you know, I don't know about other ministers, but... Uh, and I'd say even a lot of uh, seasoned other ministers that are not involved in the, in the Holy Spirit still learn how to do this. But uh, what you find is the more that you train yourself to be led by the Spirit of God in ministry, uh, in speaking, the more the spirit of prophecy, uh, the, the more that you teach and minister by the spirit of prophecy. Because you should be just, you know, I mean, I've got notes, but, you know, 90% of what I say is not the notes. It's just what what is coming up out of my spirit man as I'm teaching. That doesn't make me, you know, super spiritual. Uh, The majority of charismatic ministers are doing that same thing, especially if they've been ministering for any period of time. They will be teaching from the spirit of prophecy, teaching from the spirit of God giving them them sudden inspiration. 
Uh, in fact, this whole discussion of prophecy wasn't in my notes at all, right? It just, it's, we need to cover it because it's right there, right? Uh, and so prophecy is words that you speak in your language that are inspired by the Spirit of God. And that can be done on your, in your day-to-day life. You ever, you ever just uh, been talking to somebody and you know the exact right thing to say to somebody, to help them or to assist them? Well, that's the spirit of prophecy, right? That's speaking by sudden inspiration. I didn't, I didn't go with a plan of things I'm going to say. I just went to go and help. And as I was there, the Spirit of God gave me the words to say. Well, that's the spirit of prophecy. And every Christian has the capacity and should uh, yield themselves to learn how to do that because you know, the spirit of prophecy will also tell you things not to say, right? Don't say that. Don't, don't respond to those unkind words, right? Just don't do anything. That's still the spirit of prophecy sometimes, right? But, but for the most part, the prophecy is speaking by sudden inspiration. And most ministry, most teaching should be done by the spirit of prophecy. That's why you ever flipped on a, the radio or the TV or something and you watch somebody and it's like, there's no anointing on this message at all. The reason why there's no anointing on the message is because it's not spoken by the spirit of prophecy. It's spoken by the intellect. Uh, and, you know, there are lots of intelligent people. Anybody could put, uh, open up a concordance. Find every, every uh, verse of that particular word and preach that, all those verses, right? And sound like they're pretty smart. But then you listen to it, it's like, but why is there no anointing? You know, and, and if you don't know, if you don't understand these, these, these uh, scriptures here, you know there's no anointing, but you can't put, place your finger, why is this service or this message so boring? Why is this, why is, what's missing? Well, what's missing is the spirit of prophecy. What's missing is the sudden inspiration of, of things that, that uh, we speak. Uh, and, and I can't tell you how many times, you know, uh, and Jerry's really bad about this. He'll come up to me and say, that was really good. He said, when did you get that? You know, and sometimes I get it because I'm studying, you know. But there's a lot of times he'll, he'll, he'll mention some points. When did you get that? I said, I got that the same time you got that. You know, just right there in the service, right there in the, in the moment of speaking on that verse. I got the revelation of what that verse and that part of the verse meant. And I speak it out. And, and that's just, uh, but, you know, you've got to be careful of, Oh, oh, well, that means I'm really important. That means I'm really, you know, I'm so spiritual. It's, that's, that's the, should be the norm, right? That should be what normal ministers and preachers do. And I think for the most part, um, most ministers do that, at least in our circles, right? That's, that's how you learn really to be a great minister of the Word of God is you learn how to yield to the spirit of prophecy. So prophecy is speaking by sudden inspiration in a tongue that you understand. And you got on the other side of that, you got tongues plus interpretation of tongues. So they're kind of the same. If you put those two together, then you speak in an unknown tongue in a, in a language that nobody understands. And then somebody interprets that and gives you what that tongue meant in a language that we understand. So it's essentially the same, right? But, but you know, it's like two nickels and a dime, right? And so, uh, so prophesying, uh, prophecy in the New Testament is primarily speaking by sudden inspiration. The word of wisdom is primarily used for uh, telling people future things that they should do. So uh, when people say, well, prophesy over me, um, I mean, you could just say anything, right? Because, uh, you know, because you're thinking Old Testament prophesying. Well, we live in the New Testament, so our New Testament prophesying is primarily speaking by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, and the word of wisdom is primarily given to us to, to help people in the future events of their lives. Uh, and so uh, we're, we're not about time there. So, so uh, we'll continue on there in... Um, um, uh, where, what did we get to, right? Uh, oh, we got to uh, verse 3, right? So we didn't get very far in chapter 4. So, uh, But we'll pick that up next week. But I think it'd be good, you know, we're a charismatic Pentecostal church, right? 
So it'd be good for us as charismatic Pentecostals to understand a little bit about the value of tongues, right? Because it should be something that we all do on a regular basis because uh, uh, we'll find out later on it's going to help you. It's going to help your church. It's going to help the move of God. Amen. Uh, and, uh, and it's something we all have the capacity to do. Amen. So let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So, Father, we thank you for the word of God. Father, we thank you for the gifts that you've given to us. We thank you for the spirit of God that dwells in us, that teaches us these things. Father, we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that uh, dwells in us, Father, that helps us to speak with other tongues, that helps us to prophesy, Father, that helps us with all the nine gifts and manifestations of the Spirit. We thank you for these things, Father. We give you the praise and the honor for them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Well, let's, let's get ready, um, receive this evening's offering. And one of the points I was going to make about prophesying, um, especially in ministry, um, come ahead, Mr. Deard, receive the offering. You know, the Spirit of God is the most powerful force in the universe, right? I mean, he created the whole universe by his own power. And, and yet, we as human beings had the capacity to, remember this, the Bible says, uh, do not quench the spirit, right? Uh, we have the capacity to quench the spirit of God. You remember they did that with Jesus uh, in the book of Mark, right? He said that he could there do no mighty works. And, and there is occasion, you know, I've been ministering now for, what, 12, 13 years, I guess 13 years in March of this year. I've been 13 years as a pastor. Um, and there's been two, maybe three times where people in the service quenched the spirit so much the spirit of God just left. And now I'm, I'm used to ministering by prophesying, right? By, by sudden inspiration. You know, as a general course and direction of ministry, that's normally what I do. You know, I start out with, with whatever the Spirit of God wants me to say and just go for the next hour or so, right? But then, then he leaves and, and I really feel lost. I mean, I, I don't know what to do. I mean, I can read these things, but they become just like, like, like eating sand to me. Uh, and, and again, it's only happened a few times in the years uh, when somebody has done something that just was really disrespectful to the Spirit of God, and he'll just leave. Uh, and, you know, I always wonder sometimes, Lord, why can't I just follow you out the door and just go, you know, just go home? I mean, I've never done that, obviously, because it, it doesn't happen a lot. If it happened a lot, I'd have to address it, right? If people were doing things, you know, and, and the people have done those things are, are long gone now, but, uh, but um, you know, uh, but that happens, right? So you're, you're used to that. You get used to, uh, yielding to the Spirit of God and speaking by sudden inspiration in everything that you do, even though, you know, we got notes and we're generally following the guideline in the notes, the outline of the notes, but the Spirit of God is what fills in all the stuff in between all that stuff because, you know, there's no way you could, unless you wrote a book uh, of every single point that you need to make uh, in ministry, you don't do that. Most of my notes are just highlights, you know, of a couple comments here and there and the verses that I need to use. Uh, and so, uh, so we, we, we like... Uh, the Spirit of God in ministry, amen? We like the Spirit of God in teaching. Uh, and, and, and that's part of the reason why, too, some people don't know how to hook up with us because they want a book report, right? They want a very dry, you know, Andy Griffith, you know, uh, kind of a thing. And they don't know what to do with the spirit of prophecy. And so, so sometimes people are uncomfortable with that. And I understand that. Uh, there's no reason for that, but uh, I still understand it. If they're not used to that, then, then to them, it's an unusual an odd uh, ministry and but it's really not it's the way the spirit of god always intended it for it to be right and so praise god we'll pick this up again um on uh, next wednesday 
And on Sunday, of course, we've got a church meal, right? On Sunday, is there a theme for the meal on, on Sunday? Do we know? Anybody know? Anybody care? Anybody uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, anybody got a suggestion or desire, your heart's desire, always wanted this or that? Um, we'll just do a, a potluck right there, okay. Um, yeah, cover dish, right? We don't do luck. Uh, and so uh, what about, a, uh, uh, who wants to make a dessert for... Uh, the uh, fire department. Anybody want to do that? Uh, you okay doing that, John? Did you do the last one? No. You didn't? No, okay. <laughs> uh, all right. All right. You okay doing that? All right, Mr. John, you're going to take care of the dessert. And uh, so we'll do a covered dish on Sunday. And uh, y'all be blessed. Have a wonderful weekend, Lord. And, and we'll see you Sunday morning.